Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. It is so cold out today. I feel like I feel like when I'm going to talk, like ice cubes are going to just come out of my mouth. <laughs> like, What's that I'm not able to fully articulate and enunciate? only like 32-ish degrees, which like a month and a half from now it's going to be 32 degrees and we're going to be like, it's so warm out. It's so nice out. Because uh, it's going to, like, yeah. this is the beginning no, of it's supposed three to be cold. and a half months of bad. Let's enjoy cold Januarys while we still have them. <laughs> there you go. There's the silver lining. <laughs> yes. You know, my, uh, my hat, I have this new hat that I'm very excited about, and it flew off my head yesterday and was run over by a bus and survived and looks exactly the same. And I was like, I'm going to, you know, have the determination and grit of that my hat like going forward. Like I was like, my hat can handle being That's run over by a bus. That's your hashtag 2019 mood. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to be the hat that stays in shape after it gets hit by a yes, bus. Yes, exactly. Well, let's talk about our top lines. We're going to talk a little bit about the shutdown showdown. Is either side feeling political pain yet? Then Margie has a new Navigator poll out. We'll talk about what people want Congress to do and see how that stacks up to what Gallup finds congressional priorities ought to be. We have a little bit of 2020 straw polling and some new data on the ideological leanings of America. Have the two parties become more ideological? The answer is yes. But we'll get into the data behind how much so. And then has hashtag MeToo changed anything? Some new polling asking if people think things have gotten different in various industries a year after uh, the MeToo movement really got uh, got a lot of steam. And we'll wrap up, of course, with some polling on my new favorite topic, doggos. But first, I want to talk about the allegations that Paul Manafort uh provided polling information of some kind, which is reportedly mostly public polling, but some private polling to some Ukrainian oligarchs with whom he had been doing business or may have owed money. This is really unusual. Circumstances under which pollsters would give some kind of polling information to anyone outside a campaign are fairly limited. And the idea that you would be giving it to like someone working for a foreign government that is potentially hostile to the United States is extremely unusual. But I'm also skeptical at how much concrete value it would have had in terms of shaping what Russian interference would have looked like. Yeah, I can't really speak to the latter, but, you know, in terms of sharing polling with anybody, I mean, here's public polling, like this is designed to be public, like the Navigator work, which is, you know, a public facing project. And then you have internal polling and you have a contract that says you cannot share this with other folks. And sometimes your client wants you to share it for and you would not share it unless the client asked you to share it or you share it in, you know, maybe elliptical ways. We have polling that shows 
X in some kind of broad brush strokes. It depends on the audience. It depends on the purpose. It depends like how public is public. You can assume that something will become public if you put it in a memo and send it to some people. That's different than, you know, trying writing a press release for it. But there is this notion of what are you sharing and what's public and what's not public. And sometimes there's a legal definition of what you can share and sharing is not allowed depending on who, which groups are talking to each other. So it's not as simple as – I know there's talk. This is not related to the Manafort story. But when you see – you know, in the as the Upshot was doing its polling, everyone thought there were people on Twitter like, every pollster should make every poll public. And we're like, well, that's nope. – you know, no, that's not no, how it works. No. So because um, this is private proprietary information that – you know, is whatever any kind of organization would have their proprietary marketing and you know data information. Yeah, there was there was an interview I saw yesterday. A a host on CNN who I really like, who I won't name, was interviewing someone about this topic, and the interview was driving me a little bit nuts because. It was supposed to be a straight news interview, and it was a little opinion-y. But it was very like, why would a foreign government want this information except to do horrible bad things? And I was like, well, that let's let's all take a pause. Embassies here in in the D.C. area host events all the time where they bring in people right. like me and Margie, and they go, ah, oh, here's a fancy breakfast, and the ambassador's here, and talk to us about what you're seeing. They're not asking us to hand over crosstabs. We would never be handing over crosstabs. They don't want to listen to crosstabs. They want to listen to you, someone just pull together some yeah, themes, and everybody likes having smarter. data shared with them. Right. That doesn't mean that it should or will be, but everybody likes, not everybody, but many people like to be on the receiving end of such and things. And like, I'm not naive. I'm sure there are people in that room who are writing up reports that go back to inform their own country's intelligence assessment of the U.S. political environment. Like, that's that's almost certainly happening, but these are all like our allies, right? I don't mind helping friends in Australia understand what's going on in American politics. I'm also not saying anything I'm not also saying on CNN. Right. Um, and I've I've sat in some of these breakfasts or dinners and things where there have been pollsters who have been working on races and they will, to your point, like kind of talk elliptically like, oh, you know, I've got some races down in the South where we're really seeing, you know, a lot of movement among group X, Y or Z. They're, again, they're not handing over a memo. Tabs. They're not handing over a memo. Right. They're just sort of like, Hey, you've given me a nice breakfast. I'm sounding very smart. Everybody walks away a winner, and it's yeah. it's really not really watch out for the that you know women women voters are so hot right now. <laughs> like <laughs> wow, kind of real deep strategic insight. <laughs> yeah. Now what the what you could do with cross tabs is if you were a foreign government looking to meddle in an election and influence voters. One, polling that has message testing in it, which would not be part of public polling, could help say, oh, look, this type of message does really well with this type of voter. That could be helpful if you were on the outside. And that's why, like, legally, campaigns are not supposed to be sharing this stuff in a non-public way privately with anyone who might play a role in the election because then that is – Illegal campaign coordination. Right. I'm not going to use the word collusion since no, no, cor- no collusion, yeah. no collusion. Right. But you know, illegal coordination is a thing right. that you're not supposed to do because it's you illegal. You can present after the election. Yes, there was. Remember, there was like some kind of weird scandal a couple of years ago where the NRCC had some like burner Twitter. I can say this because I'm the Republican. Had some like burner Twitter account where they were tweeting like just a string of numbers in weird code, like numbers and letters, and you could like. No, you could crack the that. code and it was like them 
making public kind of top lines of internal polling that, yeah, it was, I remember this being like a Politico, you know, way buried down story where like six people on planet Earth are interested and I was one of those six. Um, Anyhow, I just like that's like the, you know, new version of Code Breakers, you know, NRCC edition. (laughs) (laughs) They've got Letchley Park over there. like um, No. So anyhow, I wanted to just talk about it briefly. We can move on to the rest of the polling stuff. But I was seeing a little bit of uh, chatter around this that was either way over interpreting what polling can do or was like, Assuming that there, why would a foreign intelligence agency possibly want this except to do nefarious things? And I'm like, I bet you British intelligence officers would love to get their hands on internal polling from a campaign, too. Not because they're going to meddle in the election, but just more information yeah. is good. Everybody That's on Twitter would do. want somebody, you know, if, people, <laughs> yeah. if you ask Twitter, would you like, you know, some internal campaign data? Twitter would say yes. <laughs> Ariel Edwards Levy was like, I have never wanted a data set so bad as to know, like, what Bandafort may have handed over to these folks. But anyhow, I just wanted to do that brief digression since this is our area of expertise to like put a little reality into the discussion. Yeah. So let's talk about the shutdown. Um, We are now, we're recording this, I think on day 19 of the shutdown. Was it day 20 or 19? Maybe it's day 20. Oh, it might be day 20 because it started on a Friday. It went, it like started at midnight in between a Friday and Saturday. Hold on, the Washington Post has a shutdown clock. Okay, 19 days, 10 hours, 21 minutes. Yep. And and there is now, it has gone on long enough that there are a variety of polls that have checked in twice about who do you blame for the shutdown. YouGov, Reuters, Ipsos, and Morning Consult, all three of them have seen a four-point swing toward people blaming Trump for the shutdown. Um, so moving in the wrong direction for him considering that this is not a popular shutdown but I, I don't think that these numbers necessarily mean that the White House is thinking of itself as like, man, the pressure's really on. The pressure is really on if you are like a moderate Republican. The pressure is really on, which is why they're buzzing about, oh, we're just going to pass vote to pass something to reopen it. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, the political pain, if the president's strategy is to double down on like, I just want my base to love me, he's not feeling political pain yet. Meanwhile, congressional Democrats are not feeling political pain because – They are on the more popular side of this issue. And their base is at the moment not calling for them to like uh, just reopen the government, give him what he wants. Um, Right. And Trump's approval ratings are the same. Yeah, they've taken a little bit. Aren't they roughly the same? Yeah, it's like 42 percent. So it had been a couple of weeks ago. It had been 44 ish. Since the shutdown, it's fallen by like a third to a half a point each week. Disapproval has actually gone up a point since last week. Um, right track, wrong track is now down to only 35% right track. Like it's things have moved in a slightly bad direction, but it has also not been the kind of aggressive movement that you saw during the 2013 shutdown when all of a sudden Republicans fell like a rock in the generic ballot. That has not happened yet. Things are too ossified for them to have moved, which is why we're now going into the fourth week of this crazy shutdown with no sign of an end. Yeah, and I think there will be more polling about this if the shutdown continues, getting a little bit beneath the surface about, you know, what does it mean? 
it's not simply who's to blame because a lot of that is also party related, you know, your party identification and who do you think kind of likes these kinds of confrontations. There's a little bit of that. But also, do you think that there's a crisis at the border or how do you feel about the wall, which is the obviously the Trump argument for the need for the shutdown um, or whether it's worth shutting down the government in order to get funding for the wall, which I think there has been, you know, you don't see a lot of support there. I also believe that support for the wall is not very continues to not be very strong. I think, you know, early in kind of the wall as a topic during the campaign, you know, I think people had some openness toward it. Now it's a real symbol of Trump and his own political views, his harsh, incendiary, you know, not compassionate. I mean, you saw Don Jr. today tweeted out something terrible about Walls and zoos. That was just gross. I mean, so it, it, that's what oh, it's. I have it, not seen that. It, you know, well, if you felt safe to. at a zoo, it's because walls work. That's Don Jr.'s tweet this morning, or Instagram, or whatever platform Don Jr. likes to hang in. But yeah, so anyway, that's that's how people view Trump's view toward the wall. So, um, so I think that's why you've seen support for it has changed, and and so we'll see how, if at all, this evolves. I mean, the other thing that I haven't seen any public polling on is a little bit on the impact, and have you felt the impact? Here are some different ways that there can be an impact. How does that change how people think about the shutdown? Because is it just a symbol of government is a disaster, continues to be a disaster? We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Or is there something specific about a long shutdown like this one that people are going to start to feel, and how will that change uh, views toward it, too? So let's talk a little bit about your navigator poll, because your navigator poll has dug into, you know, Some right now Congress things. is focused very heavily on what are we going to do about the shutdown. But there's also other things going on, other yes. pieces of legislation being put forward. Yes. Margie, talk to me about this poll. So, well, first I should kind of couple it with Gallup did, and I know other folks have done this too, and Gallup did this, you know, what are, should be Congress's priorities in 2019? They do it, you know, every year, every new Congress, and uh, rather in the beginning of the year. And so they have this whole list, and should it be education or healthcare, or economy, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and they don't have in their list, and it's not uh, to critique them, like government dysfunction and like, you know, government, it doesn't even have corruption, which is something that we hear, we see, you know, in a lot of other polling. And this was from December, it was before the shutdown, even so, the Navigator poll, which I'll talk about in a second, was also before the shutdown. And we've seen, we've talked about on this show endlessly, people are really worried that the government has just gone off the rails and can't do anything. And so it's important, I think, to look at that as a priority. How do you feel about government simply? Like, should government prioritize just doing something and being effective again? Um, so we asked, and so Navigator, as folks who listen to the show know, we uh, do a poll every uh, month, and it's at navigatorresearch.org, and it's work with my firm as well as a global strategy group. We had Jeff Pollack on many months ago. Um, so this month we did three different topics. One of them is, you know, about sort of HR1, which is the, you know, ethics and election reform bill, as well as kind of this bigger picture, like how do you feel about reform and and government generally, um, the economy and special counsel investigation. So for this, the government piece, what was interesting here is how a majority feel we should fix our broken government. That's a priority over fixing our broken democracy and electoral process, like just that framing, the framing of, you know, our government is broken. Over 80 percent feel that government in Washington is broken, 43 percent feel that way strongly. I mean, this is such a huge, huge 
concern for people, it's really quite something. And this, again, was before the survey was done before the shutdown. To what extent do you think that these widespread views of government being broken in a way sort of help Republicans when they're making the case government shouldn't be doing X, Y and Z because government is broken and terrible at everything? I mean, the Tea Party was really big on like government is broken. That's It's not like a new message and it's one that the right has used for a while to support its ends. I mean, is this is it nonpartisan, the view that government in Washington is broken nowadays? I mean, it is. I mean, with numbers like that, it's going to be pretty yeah. bipartisan. And and it's, you know, if you look at the which is which is more important, fixing a broken government or fixing broken democracy and electoral process, there, Republicans very much favor the broken government piece, but I think that's probably because of views for the electoral process, perhaps. So it, it's a concern that everybody has. It, it is interesting how you know Democrats ultimately want there to be a role for government. That is a difference. So the fact that it's not working is you know is troubling for Democrats. When you're right, Republicans can say, "See, I told you this was you know we couldn't do anything about it," um, or that this is this is not a good way to do anything. Um, it's still very much a worry. It, it still continues to be a worry. I think it's how it relates compared to other issues, which we don't have in this poll, but we've seen elsewhere that government dysfunction for Republicans is not necessarily as high as some other things like immigration or taxes but it's not something that people don't feel for sure that's changed you know since i've been since i've been polling this was not as as high of an issue and things like corruption and you know taking power away from special interests i mean even swing voters people who you know voted in different parties in 16 and 18 also prior, you know think those things are important and and say those things should be top priorities for fixing our our government so then the other two topics were the economy and the special counsel investigation on the economy we had um, questions asking about do you feel trump has improved the economy and how's your personal economic situation going. And there was a pretty wide gap between, you know, more people feel Trump has helped the economy than feel that they are personally benefiting. And that gap is even wider with Republicans. It's a 43-point gap where 84 percent of Republicans feel Trump has improved the economy. Only 41 percent feel their personal situation has improved. And that's true, you know, when we look at it a different way. We said, how are how is the economy doing for all these different audiences, the wealthy, investors, manufacturers, people like you, et cetera, versus is Trump helping or hurting this group? There's a correlation, obviously, between the, those two measures, but it is interesting. I think the stock market one is particularly interesting where, you know, people feel that, um, I mean, maybe that's a little bit more mixed where the economy is doing okay for them, but Trump has maybe not helped them as much. I think it's in the middle of a lot of stock market volatility. So that's why we see things a little bit different there. Yeah. So so for that chart on the left, if the higher up it is on the chart, the more there's a perception that Trump has helped this yeah. group, right? So like everybody, it seems like you, you have to have pretty broad agreement among people of all parties for the wealthy and big corporations yep. to yep. be where they are on this chart, which is far to the side that says things have gotten better for them yep. and that Trump has been the one helping them. Yep. But like a lot of these, I mean, considering that so many polls have pretty negative ratings for Trump, I was in some ways surprised that for people like you, on the one hand, there's there's slightly toward things have been getting worse for people like yep. me. But the Trump himself, it's like neutral on the has he helped or hurt. Like that kind of surprises me. Who I mean, I'd, I'd be curious for these folks who say things are getting worse for me, 
but I don't hold Trump responsible. Like, I wonder what what the other forces are. Like, if you ask people, why do you think things are getting worse for you? Like, what are those other forces right. that are driving? Yeah, things? I mean, no, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, these things are going to you know be partisan, but it's also where this group feels this they stack up compared to everybody else. Yep. And so, when you look at the overall views to the economy, which are overall positive, although that's um, mostly driven by Republicans' views to the economy, just writ large, yet feeling that they are kind of not at the top right corner of this chart, this which you guys can go check out, you know, is that a um, is that something that causes some unease, either economic unease or unease with the president? And then the last section was the special counsel investigation, where it's a, there are a variety of questions and people should go take a look. I think the the main things that stuck out to me from this is one, you have a majority who agree that Trump thinks he's above the law. You have a majority that say that Trump lies more than other presidents. And then you have a majority who say we should let the investigation continue because it's already beginning to, you know, it's already made some significant discoveries as opposed to it's, you know, it's gone on too long. It's a witch hunt, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the thing that people worry the most about the investigation is obstruction of justice, cover up, lying to the FBI, more than Russia collusion, more than financial crimes or money laundering. So I think that's worth noting, too. Well, let's take a quick look at 2020 presidential election straw polling. Daily Coast has done a Gosh, was it 35,000 people voted? <laughs> yeah, I think it's from their website. It's not totally clear. I don't know exactly. You know, it's a straw poll. I mean, it's not like representative of Democratic primary and caucus, you know, primary voters and caucus goers. But Elizabeth Warren in first place at 22 percent, followed by Beto O'Rourke at 15, Kamala Harris at 14, Joe Biden at 14, Bernie Sanders at 11. You should immediately forget all of these numbers we've just told you because they're meaningless. <sighs> what does it mean? <laughs> I think, well, first of all, I don't know the dates, right? So I, I think it's likely Elizabeth Warren is doing quite well because she, you know, announced and had the kind of, you know, mm -hmm. had the feel to herself, perhaps. I don't know the dates. A lot of other public polls have shown Biden and Sanders a little bit higher than Warren. It's also... It could mean something about the Daily Coast audience. I think it's just their readership, but I don't. I don't know. And it's it's useful, and at least it's it's not purporting to be a representative poll of all Democrats. And even those polls, those national polls of people who self-identify as Democrats, that doesn't tell you anything. None of it tells you anything. And they don't even have all the candidates. I think I may have this wrong that they're going to lop off the bottom two and put in some other folks because there's just such a long list. Yeah, they have. I mean, other is like at nine points, but there, like there's a lot of people that go into other. <laughs> yeah. No, it's um, it's good to keep an eye on it. It's good to keep an eye on it, but it doesn't, doesn't mean anything about 2020. Well, one thing that will be interesting in 2020 is watching the primary unfold on the Democratic side because there's – I am very skeptical that there will be anything resembling a primary on the Republican side unless – this is a theory someone threw out to me late last week that I have been pondering – what if Kristen's doing like what a, if, a gesture of like the, like wheels, the wheels turning, turning. In, in her brain? Yes. I had a Democratic <laughs> friend say, look, or no, not a Democratic friend, a Republican friend say, tell Democrats, give Trump the wall and tell him, Mr. President, you can then say you've kept all your promises. You cut taxes. You appointed conservative judges. You rolled back the regulatory state. You, you know, reduced illegal border crossings. 
You built the wall. You renegotiated trade deals. You made our allies pay more for their own defense. You pulled troops out of Syria or whatever. Call it a win. Throw the towel in. Say, I am the most successful winningest president ever. And I'm not going to run again because he can't top my first term. And just walk away. Nancy Pelosi should <laughs> offer him that deal. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> think about that's, it. Just that's, think about it. Just think about it. Yeah, but he's not going to take that deal because he's not a good deal maker. I'm and just saying. I'm just saying. Just think about it. That's that's not an unusual alternate universe. That might be the universe we're living in. We're already living in a strange timeline. That would be like the perfect wrinkle of this strange timeline is that he gets to like six months from now. There's something kind of quasi approaching of steel slat non wall being built on the border. And he's like, boom, mic drop. I did everything I said I was going to do. And I did it in three years. We're done here. I'm going to go back to playing. I'm going to play more golf. I'm going to go play po- golf. Mikey, it's on you. I'm just saying. Just saying. Okay. So back to the the primary electorates. So Gallup, which as you may or may not have heard, is going to be dramatically scaling back its political polling operation, um, which is a bummer because Gallup has tons of amazing historical data. Um, but they're getting out of the like daily, weekly presidential job approval polling business. They've been out of the horse race polling business for a while now. Um, But they do still have data going back decades on things like Americans' ideological views. And what they found is that from 1992 to today, the percentage of Americans identifying themselves as liberals has increased from 17 to 26 percent. Conservative has stayed pretty stable. Moderate has declined from 43 to 35 percent. Among Democrats, Back in 1994, there were as many conservative Democrats as liberal Democrats. Mm -hmm. That is not the case anymore. Now it is 51 percent of all Democrats are liberal, 13 percent are conservative. Republicans, meanwhile, had already kind of aligned themselves as a conservative party in the post-Reagan, post-Gingrich Revolution 94 era. And since 94, a majority of Republicans have identified as conservative. But today it's up to 73 percent. So the ideological sorting of the parties continues apace. And for Republicans, it had already sort of happened a lot in the 80s and 90s. But they continue to get more conservative. But for Democrats, that shift over the last two and a half decades or so, that is dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We don't have this here. It is part of the Republican shift, which doesn't seem as dramatic. Is that because because of any changes or fluctuations in Republican IDs? So the folks who are left are that, you know, kind of demigloss of of Republicans. And so they become a little bit more conservative. Um, But the Democratic liberal number like and so here's the thing to think about that. Is that because the word is back in business? And, you know, it's okay to be liberal again. You know, we can still say we're progressive. It's cool to be liberal again. Or is it because people are changing their views toward progressive liberal issues, which Mm -hmm. there's there is some of that, too. You know, which is the leading indicator, and which is the trailing indicator, like which comes first? We're like. I'm prioritizing. I've always been in favor of stronger gun laws. I'm prioritizing stronger gun laws and minimum wage and, you know, free college and Medicare for all or whatever it is, um, whatever your issues are. And so now then must be a liberal or were you always for those things and now you're just calling yourself a liberal? I I don't know the answer to that. But um, 
you know, you ask about liberal in a primary, but in most areas, people say they're moderate or conservatives, even Democrats in lots of places. And, you know, there's something about the the word moderate or conservative that sounds like it has an application in another in other contexts that I think meanings in other contexts that people like and, and aspire to, mm-hmm. even if they're not necessarily sure how it maps into how they view things. But now among Democrats, I mean, those numbers, I mean, that is that is no joke. That is big movement. I mean, it also is a reaction to years ago in H.W. Uh, Bush versus Dukakis. I mean, that being called a liberal and like he's a card carrying member of the ACLU and like calling him a liberal, like that was such a big thing. And there were a lot of ads. Also in the American president, by the way, the like card carrying member of the ACLU, like as a as a political like bomb you throw at the opponent. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's, because then uh, Michael Douglas from. is like, why aren't you, Bob? Why aren't you a member of the oh, ACLU? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Don't you care about civil liberties? Sorkin, well, Sorkin, Sorkin? Yes. Well, that was a response to that. It was a response to the real event. Uh, ripped from the headlines, as they say. Um, and then, you know, there was also a lot of ads. I, I don't I don't know if I've seen these in the same way, but there was there was a time where I remember there was like one or two media consultants on the right years ago when I was a young pollster kid um, who would just like call the opponent a liberal. Like he walks like a liberal. He talks like a liberal. He's a liberal. Like that's, you know, mm-hmm. that's all you had to do. You just had to say liberal like 80 times and that was it. And that's still the strategy, by it's... the way. Like have you seen <laughs> yeah, I guess that... Nancy Pelosi and her merry band of San Francisco liberals are yeah, coming to town. It's like true. that's still a strategy. It's, true. it's just maybe it's... less effective nowadays. Yes. It's uh, that very nuanced <laughs> policy driven strategy. Strategy. Yeah. So, I mean, that, you know, it, it was once just about that word. And so the fact that the, the word is back is quite is quite a thing. Yeah. Well, Gallup took a look at some of the deeper crosstabs on this and found that, uh, unsurprisingly, the most conservative group is Republicans. The least conservative group is Democrats. But uh, the other demographics kind of break out the way you think they might. Um, the most conservative demographic groups are 65 and older men. 50 50 to 64 age uh, and people who are from the South. And then for most liberal, it's people with a postgraduate education, African-Americans, people aged 18 to 29, people from the East and people aged 30 to 49. Breaking breaking news. Breaking news. (laughs) Young people, women and people from communities of color lean to the left. Yeah. Old white men lean to the right. Hmm. Surprise! Well, but yeah, but it's it, good I to mean, just it, know exactly how much everybody leans to the left. And hey, the right. guess who's like right in the middle? Independence. <laughs> <laughs> Independence going to independent. Incredible. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit. I mean, the the Golden Globes were on Sunday. Did you watch the Golden Globes? Uh, no. You didn't miss much. They were kind of awkward this year. Yeah, I mean, I saw caught up on Twitter a little bit. Your boy Richard Madden won a Golden Globe for Bodyguard. Did he really? Yes, it was oh. amazing. And there were like some people on Twitter who were a little upset because he beat someone who was like, like a crowd favorite. But Richard Madden is the pollsters' crowd favorite for oh, Bodyguard. Bodyguard. So, and I think Chris and I were l- obsessed with the Bodyguard. You yes. guys don't know for like a hot two weeks, like we were. That was like all we talked about. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> when so, you guys were not listening, that was what we were talking about. <laughs> congratulations to Richard Madden. Oh, that's good. Uh, I missed that part. The official favorite actor of <laughs> the pollsters <laughs> on your big win. Um, but I mean, I remember last year at these awards shows, everyone wore black, yeah. and it was like ve- like the Times Up 
Me Too stuff was very present. Oprah at the Golden Globes got the Cecil DeMille Award last year. Oh, she gave right. that speech that everyone was bonkers yeah, over. Yeah. This year, it, it, the Cecil B. DeMille Award went to... Um, Did it go to Carol Burnett? No, they have a new award that's a Carol yeah. Burnett Award that's like a comedy award. And Carol Burnett a, is gave, awesome. Yeah, she gave great little remarks. No, it was uh, Jeff Bridges who gave oh, a speech. Oh, that was his? Basically oh, he... as, like, the dude yeah, from yeah. Big that Lebowski. Yeah, I saw on Twitter and everyone was making <laughs> like, fun wait, of it. Like, wait, he might actually just yeah, be the like, dude. Yeah, they just, like, <laughs> decide to make the Big Lebowski. They, they didn't want to, like, shoot around him, so he, he was in the movie, and that's yeah. just him. Like, so, but yeah. I think there is a <laughs> there was less visibility around Me Too. Like, it, it's just... Last so it's year, all the, fixed now. Yeah, like the wound was so fresh last year, yeah. but there. So there's a poll. Morning Consult and the Hollywood Reporter did a survey of 2,201 U.S. adults and found that 38% say celebrities speaking out about sexual harassment has mostly created a positive change in society, while 19% say it has not really made an impact, and 22% who say it has been a negative change. Um, unsurprisingly, there's a partisan divide here. 60% of Democrats think it's good for celebrities. They've spoke out about this because it's making positive change. Only 21% of Republicans said the same. Um, and then in this same poll, they said, uh, is sexual harassment a problem in the industries listed? And Hollywood was the one where most, like a majority of people said sexual harassment is a major problem. And very few said that compared to last year, uh, nowadays they sense that it is less of a problem. Only 15% of people think that it's really gotten better. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like, is it a problem in these various industries, Hollywood, politics, finance and tech? Like people hear about it more in Hollywood and politics. I mm -hmm. think that you'd have to really be in those industries or follow a more a very specialized mm -hmm. news media in order to see what's going on in finance and tech. So I think that's why people, you know, you have yeah. higher don't knows there. But and same thing, you have higher don't knows and like, is this more or less of a problem compared to before? But, you know, I suspect it's probably the same amount of problem all over. They also had some questions in this poll about Hollywood's pay gap. Well, pay gap across a bunch of different industries. But um, so slightly fewer people think that the pay gap in Hollywood is a major problem compared to sexual harassment. Not that these two right. things are in conflict. They can both be problems at the same time. Yep. But, um, but there's also a sense that that has not really changed, although Hollywood is viewed as less egregious compared to other industries on the pay gap front than they are on the sexual harassment front. Right. I wonder why that is. I mean, do people just assume, like, they're like, no, I'm not really worried about pay gap because people in Hollywood are overpaid, so Probably. it doesn't bother me that much. I mean, but why not have those same views on tech? Who knows? Anyway, but it's interesting. So uh, there's probably a little bit of, like, there's a little bit of, you know, how they view that. Um, for the Oscars, which are coming up, we don't have any Oscar polling today. We'll get to that shortly as we get closer to the Oscars. But I don't think nominations are out. Are there any movies that you saw this year that you're really hoping will get nommed I can't, or something? I mean, I don't see movies in the theater. <laughs> the last so movie I saw. I did, I did see, wait, hold on. I was on a very long plane ride over the holidays and it was not the best selection of movies. I watched a lot of them. Basically, only Ocean's 8 passed the Bechdel test. It was just like a million movies that don't pass the Bechdel test. I'm like, 
what is happening here? Like, I would like to see a movie. I am caught up on America, but America is not passing the Bechdel test. Like, this is just a terrible list of movies, just like dudes talking to other dudes. I feel like I talked to you about this last week on the show, but I'm going to do it again because I just watched Crazy Rich Asians again on my flight back from L.A., and it may be my favorite movie. Yeah, I saw um, it, like, on somebody else's screen, but I was not listening to it, and I was like, I feel like I, I kind of got the picture. I want and I was, all of I the clothes. Good. No, so it's... The best stuff in Crazy Rich Asians is not the love story part because, I mean, that's fine, like, but the guy is just kind of, like, this, you know, very good-looking, like, yeah. they don't really die. I don't think they dive, like, deep into his, he's not the center right. of the story. Right, right, Um, But her friendship with Aquafina just fills my heart with joy. They're so fun. Yes. Um, and one of the best parts is when they, they show up at a party and Aquafina, the Aquafina character, gets invited to the fancy part. Like, she's just driven her friend to the party and yeah. is like, bye, see ya. And they're like, you want to come in? And she's like, um, no, I can't. Oh, yeah, I'll totally come in. And has she goes to her trunk and she's got, like, yes. six different garment bags labeled as different things. So yes. she'd be like, oh, yes. just in case I get invited to yes. a cocktail party. Here we go. But the main crux of the story is, I think, about the gal and her mom. Yes. And her mom, who was an immigrant, and, like, you know, helping guide her daughter, who was born in America or may, may have been born in America? Actually, I think that's unclear. I may be like, I didn't listen. I've seen the movie so, now three times and yeah. I'm missing this plot together. But like, that's actually the emotional core of the movie is like the relationships. Anyhow, yes. I just. N- not just like the rom commy part, right? Well, that's well, that's good. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend. All right, it. maybe I should watch it next time with the sound on. The other one I saw where I didn't have to go to a theater is Ballad of Buster Scruggs, but you really have to like Coen Brothers, like weird. It's ha ha ha. We're all laughing, but then like this guy's head just got shot off in a gruesome way. But let's all laugh. It's it's an acquired taste. Mm. It is the salt and vinegar potato chips. All right, okay. Film. I mean, I saw. Yeah, I I think. It's probably better that I just not talk about movies that I have or haven't seen because they're just going to – I want to see – how many different RBG movies are there? I want to see – I need to see all of them. I have like a binge day of just like only (laughs) RBG On the basis of sex, RBG the documentary. There's got to be at least one more. I think there's one more, isn't there? There might be. Okay. There might be. Anyway, that's what's on my list. <laughs> just probably I need to diversify a little bit. <laughs> and see, I'm like, I want to do a lady lawyer, a lady lawyer movie day. Let's start with Legally Blonde. <laughs> and, then and, and Margie's like, like crying and serious. Like, Margie's like, what's wrong like, with her? Really, you know, chipper and just ends like, you know, feeling like, oh, God, <laughs> where are we all headed? OK, well, let's let's end the show on a very happy note. Um, as you may have discovered from my social media feed, I have a dog now, Wally, and he is my life. He is the best snuggler. And we have polling now to wrap up the show that's actually from a high-quality, credible source. Yes. From YouGov. Not Credit Donkey. Not Credit Donkey. <laughs> <laughs> Not from Wallet Monkey or right, whatever exactly. the heck. This is from YouGov. Right. Um, do you own any of the following pets? of U.S. adults said that they own a dog. 32% own a cat. Uh, Contrary to the idea that women are cat ladies or something like that, not that there's anything wrong with having a cat. I mean, I guess there's kind of something wrong with having a cat. Dogs are way better. But women. I have two cats, you know. Well, it's okay. That's a valid choice. (laughs) I have lots of friends with cats. It's fine. I have not been a cat. I dogs equally. I am fully. Pet flexible when it comes to which I prefer, except I don't. I don't really want a fish or a bird. I had a, a fish was like my first pet. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're a child. I don't want to say his name because I think that's like my security question on like 50% of websites. Like, mm. what was the name of your first pet? <laughs> I had a pet. It was a fish. <laughs> a fish whose name shall be redacted from this podcast. Please don't hack my bank account. Um, <laughs> that's a nice update to Dr. Seuss. <laughs> but I just remember it being like kind of gr- like gross to change. Yeah. The pet, the fish's yes, water. That's what everybody I mean, learns. I pick up my dog's dies. poop every day. Yeah. And that doesn't gross me out in the way that like changing the fish's yeah. nasty water did. Um, but women, 43% of women have a dog, more than for men. Only 37% of men report having a dog. 34% of women report having a cat. Uh, in terms of fish, fish are most likely to be owned by people with over $100,000 in income. Hmm. You know, not really dispelling the like James Bond villain aquarium <laughs> stereotype. Is that just Mike Bloomberg like throwing that off? If you go into any Bloomberg office around the world, like they have these amazing. It's like no, it's sea N world. equals two seventy five, and it's just a hundred. It's a hundred k. So you know, just <laughs> meaning that there's more people in that cell other than Mike Bloomberg. So Mike but... Bloomberg doesn't get counted based on his amount of money <laughs> in that number cell. of fish, That's not how it <laughs> right works. or number of fish total. Um, <laughs> 50% of Trump voters have a dog, which is curious considering how often Trump uses dog in like a very negative way, like fired like a dog, which isn't a thing. Do you fire a dog? Wally, you're not fired. Well, maybe it was what higher. Maybe this number was higher before Trump that Republicans and Romney vote. I wonder what Romney voters had their oh, dog ownership This is, is my one of the weird anecdotes in the selfie vote available where fine books are sold was I when I interviewed one of Romney's uh, data guys and he said that pet owner was a statistically significant variable in their tw- 2008 primary models. Yeah. No joke. Or 2012 primary models. I forget what year the Seamus stuff all broke, but... Alas, there Gail, you have it. Gail Collins, she was on the case. Yep. Uh, so, what did we find? What did we learn this week? Okay, so lots of things Congress could be doing, but right now people are worried about whether it can do anything. 2020 polling is here. Ignore all of it. Congrats to my card-carrying liberal friends playing the long game. Today's your day. And dogs, Kristen loves them. Republicans love them. Women love them coincidence maybe trump doesn't love them though you can find us on twitter at at the pollsters individually at at margie omero and at k soltis anderson find us on facebook or at www.thepolsters.com thanks